just another category to add on to the pile. There are trust issues between the Black community and many systems because we aren't trusted. Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, founder of Grapevine Health and your host of the Grapevine Health Podcast, a podcast highlighting stories, health insights, and experiences of community members. We started this podcast because too often discussions and decision-making about health and the healthcare system don't include perspectives from the people we serve. So listeners, if you have a personal story or an experience from working in the community or on the front lines of healthcare, Contact us, and we might have you on the show. My guest today is Nikichi Feaster, a community advocate who will provide perspectives on the pandemic, Medicaid, and what she believes is the solution to improving engagement in care and even acceptance of the coronavirus vaccine. Nikichi, I'm glad to talk to you today, but I would love for you to first introduce yourself and tell folks what you do. Sure. Hi, Lisa. Um, I appreciate being on the show. Uh, my name is Nikichi Feaster. I am a community advocate. Um, I've been through the shelter system. I've been a recipient of services, including TANF, SNAP, many other services. And after my second time in the shelter, I became a community advocate because I saw how many issues there were with community members receiving services, uh, multiple type, in multiple agencies, through multiple agencies and whatnot. And I started speaking out. I started just by advocating, just showing up and telling my story. That transitioned into me learning to train communities, community members, those in organizations. Um, now I sit on a couple of boards of community organizations. I'm involved in program development for new initiatives. And I am working with Service to Justice on helping the organizations adopt a racial lens into their work. Mm, wow, that's quite a story. What is Service to Justice? What do they do? Uh, so we are a racial equity training team for organizations, and we literally assist organizations in moving from service to justice using a racial equity lens in conflict transformation. We have a rooting out racism, which is our anti-racism training for organizations. We do leadership coaching and any other services that an organization might need to move from uh, service to justice and employ implementing a racial lens into that work. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's wonderful. So we'll talk in a few minutes, we'll talk about, uh, get some advice from you about um, the healthcare system, healthcare policy. But first, I just want to check in and, and find out how have you been affected by the pandemic? So I'm actually doing great. <laughs> I've had some great things happen in my life since the pandemic. I became stably housed. I haven't been in my own place since 2015. After I left, I was a resident of DC General Shelter from 
2011 to 2012, and then moved into the Rapid Rehousing Program, and I was there from 2012 to 2015 mm. um, at the LEAP program. Since then, my goal has been to not return to the shelter system because it is not working for easy residents. So I've done a lot of bouncing around. So I moved into my own apartment in April. So that's been a huge sense of relief for me. And I've just been reveling in that joy. Yeah, I bet. Congratulations. That's uh, wonderful. I can't imagine what that's like to bounce around for almost five years in and out of shelters. I think we take a lot of things for granted, including housing. Absolutely. I'm sure you've seen the statistics here in the city and nationally. Black people are dying at higher rates of COVID. What What do you think is the reason for that? The same reason as always, because we're normally dying at higher rates in mm-hmm. one way or another in many categories. This is just another category to add on to the pile. So you brought up the, an, an interesting um point that uh, Medicaid patients may not have access to technology. And this is a a subject that's emerged over and over again during the the coronavirus pandemic. So what is your perspective on that? Because it seems that people have access to the internet. It may not be the fanciest access out there, but people have smartphones. So what is your perspective on um, this digital divide? One of the things I thought about is those who receive benefits like Medicaid are available for, they've coined it the Obama phone, but it's free cell phone service. It's minimal compared to most available plans um, that are paid for. Have you had an Obama phone? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have. Tell us about the service they provide, though, compared to other other service providers, like with respect to how many minutes and do you get to text and things like that? Yes. So when I had mine, so I don't know what what the plans look like now. I can't speak on that. But I know when I had mine, it was a certain limited number of minutes for calls and texts per month. I don't know if it was 100 minutes a month. I don't know. Um, But it was not a whole lot. But the idea was for residents to have access to take care of what they need to take care of, not necessarily talk to anyone that they want us to talk to. So, and they would refill every month. And as long as you were qualified, as long as you were a recipient of services, um, which made you qualified, you could get those three minutes every month. So those type of phones still exist. And I see them on street corners in neighborhoods where people are walking by signing up. And what about text messaging, though? Do those plans have text messaging, and is it limited? Calls and texts were the main were about the only features I didn't have at that time. I didn't have online access, but online access was not as readily available then as it is now. But you had limited texts and limited calls. Okay, all right. I've seen plenty of booths on the sidewalk where you can sign up for that service. However, why isn't that a regular part of going to apply for benefits? Why isn't that a part of walking into DHS, walking into SNAP, walking into Medicaid, walking into these offices to apply for necessary services and making sure 
that community members have access because they automatically qualify if they are applying for certain services. I thought I think people I think people believe that is what's happening. So you're saying it's not. We thought a lot of us, myself included, believe that people going to apply at DHS or for SNAP or TANF would be offered this phone service. Is that not happening? I haven't known them to be offered at the time, at the location where you go to apply for services. Okay. Um, hmm. That should be a staple. Mm-hmm. Agreed. At those locations, though. Um, that way you are guaranteeing access to call a doctor, to set up appointments. If that is what the phone is for and that is how you qualify, why isn't there an automatic office or cubicle in these locations to allow anyone to sign up for that service who doesn't already have it? So that access that can be limited to communities is not as limited. Mm-hmm. That, that is, is one thing that is too easy. It's way too easy to set up an extra cubicle and have those phones available for community members to sign up for. That is a really great suggestion. You mentioned people could use those phones to call their doctors. Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued by this because we talk to a lot of people out on the street and ask people about engagement in healthcare. And a lot of people choose not to go to doctors because of, well, for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. But you, well, what do you think about that? One of our big challenges before the pandemic was that people used the emergency department instead of engaging in primary care. So why do you think that is? Again, multiple reasons, but one, there are trust issues between the black community and many systems because we aren't trusted. When we say we're in pain, not being heard, not being taken seriously. And if you have a medical degree, you're taught to be a genius. You're the smartest person in the world. But you can't tell me more about my own body, what's happening in my body. It's different. What no one can tell me is how much I'm in pain, is the fact that I'm in pain, is the fact that something with my body is not right. Mm -hmm. But we aren't listened to, we aren't believed, and we aren't treated accordingly. So we don't trust doctors. We go when we have to. That's why we go to the emergency room instead of doctors. When something gets to the point where we don't have a choice, (laughs) That's when we go, and it's an emergency at this point. We don't do regular doctors on a consistent basis. More so these days than I've ever seen, it's picked up. But what's picked up? The fact people, black people going to doctors. Mm -hmm. And this is out of the community of people that I am in relationship with. They're going more. Why? I think because of what's happening in society with racial justice lens being applied to everything, Black people are understanding self-care. Black people are understanding, Black women in particular are saying, okay, I'll go to a Black woman therapist. I'll go to a Black woman doctor. I won't go to anyone else because I need someone who looks like me, who understands me to, to treat me. Yeah. So that it, the, in that manner, 
things have definitely picked up. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you suggest we provide the the trusted services people need, especially if it's a health condition that you can catch early? What should mm-hmm. we be What should we be doing? There are certain fields where you're trained to be the smartest person in the room. Legal and medical are two of those fields. But if you are in your 20s and 30s and you have a degree and you've just finished law or medical school and now you're actually in practice and you go into a room to meet a client, you're going to tell me if that client is an 80-year-old black woman, you know more than her. That's not possible. So instead of that mentality of I'm here to fix your issue or I'm here to fix you or I'm here to, you know, solve every problem you have because I'm smarter than you. The perception should instead be when you walk into the room, regardless of who the client is, how can I use my experience in my profession to assist with what you need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That does not mean you're smarter than the individual. Mm-hmm. You know, one of one of the challenges I think uh, health systems and uh, doctors and nurses face is staying connected to people okay. and getting their attention in the first place. Yeah. How do we How do we do that? How do we get people's attention to focus on their health? You have to rebuild trust in the mm-hmm. community. What is one thing I can do? to show you that I want to earn your trust? Ask follow-up questions. Mm, mm-hmm. um, listen. Yes, listen. <laughs> okay. And listen to the experience the individual is telling you about rather than comparing it to your experience. Don't disregard what a patient is saying mm-hmm. because it's not your experience. That is the most ridiculous thing you can do to someone. Yeah. Their experience isn't real because it's not yours. So I have one more question uh, before we go, and that is related to vaccines. A lot of people mm-hmm. are talking about the vaccine being the solution for returning to normal society, normal function. And I'm hearing a lot of skepticism around taking the vaccine. What are your thoughts? Black bodies have been used to advance many things at the sacrifice of the black body. Tuskegee Airmen, um, Henrietta, uh, what is her last name? Yes. Perfect examples of how we are sacrificed for the quote unquote advancement of Western medicine. Um, so people don't trust certain things or we do things because we're told we have to do it. That's the way it's done in this country. But then when we run into issues, it's not addressed properly. Um, so again, how do we know we can trust a vaccine for coronavirus when the government has not done its proper due diligence to ensure this pandemic does not get worse. Mm -hmm. We've seen it get worse. We've seen other countries get better. 
So we know there is a method that can be followed that this country is not following. Mm -hmm. They're not asking for advice. They're not seeking. So how do we know we can trust? It's, again, trust issues between the black community and the systems and entities that run this country. Yeah. But, you know, um, coronavirus aside, we have a lot of vaccines that have saved a lot of lives and basically wiped out uh, terrible diseases. So what's the difference between a coronavirus vaccine and all of these vaccines uh, that black people have taken or their children have taken? Is it different? And if so, why? One of the most, one of the things, conversations I hear most often is in regards to how many different commercials are saying, did you take a birth control device in 1990s that you're now having issues with? Do you or someone else, you know, have you suffered from this particular drug? Have you used this drug in the past, these class action suits that are everywhere because of the issues with whatever that medicine that was given in large masses caused many, 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 many people? If that is happening, we're supposed to just automatically trust what's, yes, it's a vaccine. Yes, there are vaccines that have wiped out, that have made people healthy and not been able to contract certain things absolutely but how many of those act up against how many have caused issues actually i think the track record for vaccines is is pretty good overall but i think what what i'm trying to understand is if the vaccine is really important to help us in this pandemic and we know black people are disproportionately affected how do we reconcile this trust issues with getting people to take the vaccine if that's how we reduce the death burden from coronavirus? Some people will take it because this particular pandemic is the worst I've ever seen in my lifetime. All of um, us, yes, most of us. People do not want to contract it. They don't want to see loved ones dying alone, not being able to even get together to mourn and grieve. Um, so people, I believe, I believe people will take it. However, it won't solve the trust issue um, on a large scale because it's still Western medicine being practiced. And the way that it's been practiced has not been, uh, it has not resolved the trust issues that black communities have with the medical system. So I won't say people won't take any vaccine that is available to cure us or prevent us from contracting coronavirus. I will say it won't resolve the issues that the Black community has with the medical industry. Yeah, we have a lot of work to do to build trust. And um, I really appreciate your time and ending on that note so that people can... Uh, remember how important it is to prioritize trust and uh, value it. And maybe one day we'll be able to measure it and show how our efforts to build trust will actually make people healthier. So thank you so much, Nikichi. Uh, it's been great. And I'm going to follow thank up you. with you. I'm going to follow up you, with you for sure on some of these issues you've raised today. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. You take care.
I spoke with Nikichi Feaster, a community advocate who reminds us that trust is essential to improve the health outcomes for our most vulnerable and underserved. Thanks for listening to the Grapevine Health Podcast. Our producer is Nicholas Elias. Please like us on social media. You can find us at Grapevine Health on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Health Grapevine. Until next time, I'm Dr. Lisa, signing off.